Good to have you on the show. Again, Good to welcome be here. Back. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm glad to All be right. back. <clears throat> well, uh, welcome to episode number 141 of Convos on the Pedicab. We're here with uh, my friend uh, Nick Cantor. Nick Cantor is back in Austin. Um, due to some unfortunate circumstances, his brother got um, inadvertently killed. He got killed in, in, a, in a gang shootout. That was not his fault in any capacity. Um, we're going to talk about that before we do. We, we do have to um, give a shout out to our sponsors. Um, have you been leaving your house outside again? Texas weather can wreak havoc on your home, especially your roof. And if you haven't had it inspected lately, chances are that outside elements could be making their way inside your home. Trust Balcones Roofing and Remodeling to perform a thorough roof inspection and offer long-lasting solutions. They are the only five-star rated roofer in Austin who specialize in installing the impact-resistant F-Wave Rivia and back all roof replacements with a um, $20,000 guarantee. To schedule a roof inspection call, uh, 512-937-8805 or visit balconesroofsaustin.com. All right, yeah. We had to do the sponsor read aloud. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, thanks for coming back on. I know you've had a really intense week, so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's been a lot. You know, um, two years ago, <clears throat> my brother was here celebrating the fact that he uh, completed his master's degree in business, and uh, he was down here with some childhood friends. Um, they were celebrating, having a good time, checking out the, the music district on 6th Street, and then two gangs uh, confronted each other, one gang shot, and unfortunately, they don't do a lot of uh, a lot of firearms training in the hood, so the guy missed everyone he was aiming at and killed my brother and shot 14 other people, innocent people, um, paralyzing one who, I mean, you could make the argument that she was killed that night too because I... Uh, you know, it was very, very hard to hear her mother's testimony about how her daughter tells her most days that she would rather have died that night than be in the condition she's in where um, they have, <clears throat> you know, homemaids um, coming in there to move her around. I mean, she can't do anything by herself. She has a colostomy bag. She doesn't go to the bathroom on her own. She can't wash herself. She can't take care of her six kids. I mean... She has six kids? She has six kids. How old is she? She was 38. Oh um, she goodness. was out just celebrating her birthday, just like my brother was celebrating, and uh, you know, caught one right through both shoulders and went in one side, out the other, and in, in between hit her spine. And um, she's paralyzed from the neck down. So, you know, it's almost worse. You know, imagine being you know, locked in a body bag, basically, and being able to just look around and pe having people just move you around. That's that's what her life consists of. Um, her kids are, her younger kids are too young to really understand, so they ask her to go dancing and to go play and she can't. just to cry and, and look at them and, and try to explain to them in, in childhood words that she can't do that anymore and she never will be able to again. I mean, that's, I can't imagine what that's, what that, what that's like, you know, just, to, just, try to put yourself in those shoes for 10 seconds yeah i, I couldn't and, it's, it's and, actually pretty horrifying to think about and uh, <clears throat> you know then then you think about that and you know that didn't really come out during the trial and i wish the jury got to hear more of of that um before they they made their decision because um i think that would have been really impactful with sentencing um and and also just to drive home the point that 
this these people they didn't care every one of them got up on that stand and lied and tried to protect the fact that deandre white murdered everyone or shot in cold blood i mean he had no remorse for his actions even when he testified at the end um before sentencing before well actually he testified during the trial before the guilty verdict um he got on the stand and he testified that he wanted to clear the air and give the Cantor family the us the closing uh, the closure that we want and you know his his defense attorney basically said all that for him um and then he got on the stand and he lied again what did he say that was what um, did he lie about he lied about the facts of the case then when the district attorney um <laughs> when the prosecutor when she questioned him about the lies he didn't know what to say, so he he shrugged and he was like, "Well, I don't really say it like that." And he tried to. Wow. What 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 did he specifically lie about? Um, I'd have to look at because I notes. I didn't I didn't like watch the trial at all. Like everything I know is just from what you're telling me. So I just want to know like what did he lie about? Because people are gonna watch this, right? And so, you want the average person who's who's not really involved in what's going on politically or what's going on in Austin to understand what he like why this why this whole situation is such a part of a much bigger problem. So several things he lied about. One off the top of my head that I can remember is everyone got on that stand and testified that that no one else pulled a gun besides DeAndre White. Okay. Everyone said because DeAndre was behind everyone. Everyone was facing the the man that confronted DeAndre's group. <clears throat> that supposedly pulled the gun, and that's why it was self-defense. Every one of DeAndre's friends testified that that man never removed the gun from his waistband and didn't pull it. Some of them didn't even see a gun. And DeAndre maintained on the stand that he saw the gun and the guy pulled the gun on him. And the the prosecutor um, asked him, so you mean to tell us that we should believe you and none of the other people who've testified in this courtroom over the last week? And he said yes, and it's, it's like one of those things where you're like, really, like, you, you, like really, you're 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 done, like it, it's game over at this point. Um, before he testified, they played a confession tape. Um, no, I'm sorry, not a confession tape, but an interrogation tape. And in that tape, DeAndre tells a lie about how it wasn't him, and the police officer or the detective rather. Um, explains to him like DeAndre, we have all the facts, we have the gun, we have everything we need like we know what happened we're just asking you to explain to us why it happened why did you pull out your gun and shoot why did why did this happen because we can get in front of a jury and explain how it happened and get you convicted we just want to know why and if you help yourself and tell us you'll bring closure to the Cantor family to the rest of the people that are that are interested in this case and also you'll buy yourself some good credibility with sentencing, with the jury, and ultimately with prison time, if you just explain to us why yeah. it happened. Unfortunately, there's no incentive for him to buy himself good credibility because the DA will just do that for him without him having to do anything. Exactly, and and the DA <clears throat> tried, and you know what? If because we were on top of him, um, he couldn't really do anything behind the scenes. Although we got some questionable information that he uh, did try to offer a plea deal to DeAndre White without even explain without confronting us at all where did you get that info from uh i don't want to say <clears throat> people's jobs are on the line um but from what we were told um deandre thought he was going to beat the charges so he said no he i, I was told he what? was offered 15 years 
He thought um, he wait. That guy thought he was going to beat the charges after everything was. So he thought he was going to beat the charges, and he he said no to the plea deal. And then you know, of course, you know the Garza's office, and this was before Haban and um, Gene were on the case before they were the prosecutors. This was back when it was Guillermo and Efren. Um, I was told he was offered that fifteen year, and he scoffed at it and said, "No, I'll beat the charges." So, was he do? And this was from jail when he was offered it. Yep. Yep. So I don't know how he thought he was going to beat the charges, but uh, did they offer the plea deal without your permission? Oh yeah, we we didn't even. It was never even the the, the prosecutor's office never even admitted to us that a deal was offered. The only thing they said because I I kept pressing them, um, and the only thing I could get out of them was that well, plea deal discussions weren't weren't worth it because DeAndre was uh, reluctant to accept guilt. There shouldn't be a plea deal discussion unless you're willing to be okay with a plea deal. Yeah, well, that's what we felt, but thankfully DeAndre, uh, you know, turned the deal down. Yeah, although with the sentence, what is he? What are, so what, what, are you happy with the sentence? Uh, no. Um, here, here's here's the, the the two ways you could look at it, right? Okay. So there's a guy who who just raped two women. Uh, everyone's heard it. it's been all over the news. He got the same sentence, thirty. 30 years and I'm not you know where where did he do that because there was another situation where a guy tried to rape multiple women and they gave him probation after sentencing so everyone's probably watched the news at some point this week some guy who was on a show um oh Danny Masterson that that yes. yeah Hyde it was Hyde from that 70s show yes okay yes that 70s show so he raped two women and he got 30 years and like you look at that and like I'm not diminishing the fact that two women were raped I'm not diminishing the emotional um you know, the emotional damage that that does to somebody. Um, what I am saying is you're talking mm. about two people who were mentally harmed, but physically otherwise. Okay. My brother is dead. Yeah. This other woman is basically paralyzed forever. Yeah. Dead paralyzed forever. Um, and you're giving DeAndre white the same sentence. And Oh, by the way, 13 other people besides my brother and, um, Ms. Ramirez are also injured and their lives are changed forever. Plus all the PTSD that everyone around there is suffering. So you look at that and you have to say, like, how are we still at 30 years for the same the, the same the same sentence for I can't even I can't even fractionalize the, the amount well, of times worse that so this so um, generally speaking, people don't make it through 30 year sentences. It's very rare for anyone to make it through. So chances are, even though he's young. 30 years is pretty much effectively a life sentence anyway for a lot of people. Um, there is that, but there's also, is there any room for, when is he up for parole? 15. Okay, so that's what the problem is. like, <clears throat> And it's that somebody like that could wind up getting paroled after 15 years. So he, he pretty much just got the 15-year plea deal anyway. Exactly. And, that, and, and you know what? <clears throat> Even if he got 15, a 15-year 15 plea deal, but he got a 70-year sentence – at least that that shows us as a family that um, you know there's a there's a value of years for my brother's life. Like my brother was 25 years old, otherwise healthy individual, could have lived to 100. So that's another 75. So you years. should give him the time that you think would be that, that what the average life expectancy is, right? That's how I look at it. Like if you kill a 25 year old person, then the average life expectancy is 80. You should get 80 minus 25 is what your sentence should be. Exactly. That's what I, that's what I think is a fair. That's what I think is kind of a fair trade versus like you kill somebody who's 75 years old and they only have 15 years to live. Okay, it, it doesn't diminish the fact that you killed somebody, but 
you really only took you took less time from their lives so you're yeah um, and then the reasoning yeah, like, like your your sentence should be handled in accordance in accordance with that i think that that's not like a un, super unfair way to look at it right if you just look at it from a number standpoint yeah i mean and that that's one way to look at it i mean there's there's a lot of different ways but at the end of the day 30 years it, the way I interpret that is that's what you think my brother's life yeah. is worth. Although also, if you're killing old people, then chances are you have no regard for human life anyway and you shouldn't be in society. And exactly. There's, there's also that perspective, which is stronger. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, and, and it comes down to the mannerisms in which you do it. You know, if, if you're, um, you know, not not to get too far into the weeds, but, you know, my my brother was out there having a good time. My brother was not like... A, a rival gang or a threat to him. You know what I mean? Like my brother didn't didn't have a hand in this fight. My brother didn't puff out his chest or flex at this guy. No, not at all. Yeah. He so was like there hanging he out. wasn't a participant, which means it there should be more time because he didn't bring this on himself. Whereas let's say uh DeAndre had shot one of the other gang members and killed them. Well then yeah, maybe that's a little bit different. Maybe because... then you could argue self defense. Exactly. But you did but you didn't hit anybody that attacked you. Exactly. Exactly. It's insane. Yeah. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Well, the fact that you actually have people that were coming to this guy's defense is insane. You know, the 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 crazy part is how many of DeAndre's friends testified and perjured themselves on the stand trying to lie to protect him, but also at the same time told pieces of the truth that all kind of told the whole story. So, you know, when when you're sitting through the trial, you know, none of these other I'll call them co-conspirators because that's what they are. None of them actually told the full truth, but they all gave pieces because when, when people lie, they never lie entirely. They give you a piece of the truth because um, they have to be somewhat credible. And so each one of them gave a different truthful part of the story that all aligned with what the evidence, you know, depicted. So in essence, they all ratted him out collectively. And it, it, it was kind of bittersweet because it was nice to see his face when all of his friends were ratting him out and he was putting together the pieces himself just like I was but it was it was kind of shitty that all these people would get up on the stand and lie to protect this murderer especially after they know that he killed my brother someone totally uninvolved and then but why are they protecting him when they when him going to jail absolves them to be honest, I think it has a lot to do with street cred and and being like kind of tough, and also the fact that they probably just don't have any regard for human life. I mean, every one of them when they got on the stand was asked because they had a. So I'm gonna step back for one sec. They had a group chat, um, all of all of these people, and they were joking about the fact that my brother died. What in they the group were, chat? Like, yeah, oh yeah. They were they were joking about the fact that they heard my brother died and they were like, oh, wow, damn, he, he got another body. Oh, we're going to have to change his hair. We're going to have to cut them dreadlocks off like we're going to have to do a little makeover day for you. Like, oh, when they heard about it immediately, initially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, uh, you know, talking about like I went in the media and I said, you know, that they were cowards and he and that he was uh, he couldn't shoot for shit. And they were like talking about that in the group chat, what I said in the media. Um and it was like it was going on and on about how, you know, the little facts of the case were coming out and how they were going to hide him. I mean, there was 468 pages of this, so we didn't see every single word. But the fact is, you can see based on some of the things that we saw um, that none of these people 
had any regard for my okay, brother's and life. Okay, none, and none of them, with, with all of that evidence presented, got charged with anything? Nope. nope. <clears throat> um, what's the statute of limitations on that? <clears throat> on that stuff, I really don't know. On being an accessory, and, and on being an accessory to murder or any of these things. I'd have to ask Doug O'Connell, but I believe there's no statute of limitation when it comes to murders. But I know that we have um, passed the timeline for the statute of limitations for um, prosecuting illegal firearms charges, which there were four illegal firearms um, that were um, that were found on the four members that were involved in the shooting. Be because they did pass this thing where you can remove prosecutors for not upholding your responsibility as a prosecutor. Um, now that that law has been passed, if Garza were not to chart, file additional charges against these people, would that be a grounds for removing Jose Garza? I believe it would be. Um, I don't know if because it's prior to the passing of the law that it might it might not but you still can file char like there's still no stat the statute of limitations force filing charges has not ended and you did tell me yesterday that you were speaking to him and you asked him too why they didn't file additional charges right yep and many he, times he said well it's because we want to we're using that in case we're, we're putting that in our back pocket just in case he lies in the stand or we're having that we don't want to throw that out right away because we're worried it'll get dismissed and we're we're we have these charges there to file when we feel it's appropriate. That's what he told me, and I called bullshit on it multiple times. But, but Nick, that also means that he's that also means that he openly is that it, that he is open to charging them in the future. And the future is now. And if he refuses to, that technically is like a dereliction of duty, and it could be a potential cause for removal as a result of SB seventeen being passed. I would love to think so. I would. We'd have to talk to somebody who has a little more legal knowledge than us to be sure that that's the case. I have a feeling that because it's prior to the law, it, it may be. It may not. Um, it may not fit. Um, but one thing I would like to highlight is that anyone down here who's followed anything Jose Garza said, one of his main things was reducing gun violence. Right? Like yeah, that's like yeah. that's like his one of his huge bullet points. Like prosecuting police and going after and stopping gun violence and like here you have four illegal firearms that resulted in a, a murder two murders arguably and the biggest mass shooting in texas history or oh, with the exception of the sniper yeah charles yeah but you have not one single gun charge filed not one single gun charge was filed think about that for a minute the biggest mass shooting in this state in the last 40 years murders resulting from it four illegal guns and not one single gun charge filed and mind you his whole campaign was about reducing gun violence i mean what's going on what kind of guns are you after and the answer is right i mean and maybe i'm maybe i'm putting words in his mouth but the answer is he wants to take legal guns not illegal guns because if he cared about the illegal guns there'd be four more people in, in prison from this shooting alone yeah yeah um no i agree um and this is and, and they live in do they, these people still live in colleen or in temple uh two of them do i'm not sure if the one the one guy um the one guy his name was los uh he ran away to puerto rico and i believe he came back but i'm not sure where he's at <coughs> um 
But either way, I mean, they got him back from Puerto Rico. There's no reason why they can't find him again if they wanted to charge him. It's just a, the matter of fact that well, Garza doesn't want it's to. It's one of those th- Yeah, but okay, it's one of those things, too. Well, if Garza doesn't want to, these guys are probably still criminals. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, right? So if they get charged, like, so is there any communication with DAs or law enforcement in the counties that they live in? To, like, I don't know, hey, man, you know, uh, look, you shouldn't be arresting people for possession charges, but under the law, you could still go to jail for 15 years for possession or 10 years if you have a possession of a certain types of substances. Well, I mean, nothing is to say that they can't have extra eyes on these people when it comes to them doing anything illegal, and then you just throw the book at him for a minor charge. Exactly, and and it's it's clearly political, and it's clearly um, you know handpicked as to what he's going to go after and what he's not. I mean, you see how tenaciously he goes after police officers that were doing what they were told by by sh- by shooting people with beanbag guns that are supposed to be less lethal, that are supposed to help disperse violent crowds, that were authorized to use the force by the mayor. He's prosecuting those people with more tenacity than the people who killed my brother. And and that that that's not just my opinion. That's a fact. He had his best two prosecutors. He paraded this around in the media. His best two prosecutors that and this is what he said. I'm not I'm not saying they're his best prosecutors. He said they were his best two prosecutors. And then six months before my brother's trial date, he pulled them off to put them on the Sergeant Perry case, AJ Perry who the protester put an AK-47 to his head the Perry, through a window. The Perry case is a little bit different, though, than a lot of other stuff, though. Well, you know that I was downtown during that? No kidding. Wow. That must have been a crazy thing to, to I, I witnessed the shooting, but I'll tell you I'll tell you this. like, um, As someone who thinks like you in a lot of ways, I do not buy the Perry's story. I only know his side, so I won't speak to what happened. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you um, – and one of my one of my camera persons is not Gary, but my friend Hiram actually filmed the whole thing kind of going down. Um, I'll tell you this because I can't fully pull off hand what what um what Hiram told me. Um, but this guy was like an Uber driver, right? Yep. And he was, and he his claim was that they were blocking traffic and he couldn't move anywhere. Dude, the streets were empty. Really? The streets on, on, like, everything was closed. It was the middle of a lockdown. Right. Only, like, three restaurants were open. The street, like, I went down there just to see, like, what it was like. And just because I was, I, I was feeling restless. I wanted to see what it was like to just ride the pedicab around. Maybe I'd get lucky or something like that. Turns out I saw that. But um, the streets were empty. Like, it was really easy um, to, 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 to drive around and avoid those people completely. It was really easy. Like, if you saw a crowd on that area, right, you could have really easily just turned around and looped back up, and it would have taken you an extra minute of time. So uh, if that's the case, I mean, then that's information I wasn't yeah, privy it to. Yeah, actually, it actually was really, like, I, and um, there's also, like, I talked to some of the protesters, and I think he, you know, he hit, like, a parking cone. And the protesters, I think, because he hit a parking cone, they thought that he was trying to hit them. Oh. And so then that happened, and then he pulled his gun out. And then this guy, Foster, had his, his AK in a low ready position. But he wasn't pointing at him. He just had the AK in a low ready position. 
which everybody has that whenever anytime you carry a weapon like that you have it in a low ready position yeah uh and then he wound up shooting um him while while, while that happened but like the i actually think that the the they made the right decision with with, with the with the parry verdict just just based on like just just based on the facts of that alone like and those people that were there were not like like there was a lot of violent craziness that happened as a result of these protesters but like some of the, the those people that were there that day were not like violent people that were trying to start fights people like none of those people were trying to throw molotov cocktails through buildings nobody broke anything nobody did any they were just like literally they were they were peaceful but they just uh had like the wrong ideas and they were sympathetic to like rioters but those like those people individually were not like like they 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 weren't i never felt like threatened by them driving a pedicab i'll tell you i'll tell you another story actually with those guys um a week later i was i i I went out and just to kind of ride around because i knew that the whole thing was happening and at like two in the morning i um got this like really drunk like guy who was like this fake patriot type dude you know and he wound up getting into it with the with the protesters right um and eventually like you know he got up like he got off the bike and look things were like about to get physical so i got up to just have my, my customers back and all of a sudden and this is a group of black people right he starts dropping n bombs at them oh my god yeah and so like he's like okay well not, I, i'm like all right well i'm out you yeah. know so I, I go back to my bike i'm like hey man i'm yeah you had me but you lost you're on, me you're on, you're on your own, own now kid yeah you can't can't do that you know yeah um and then this guy tries to get back on the bike and i'm trying to drive like i'm driving away and he's like fighting with the people and all types of stuff gets crazy right and they threw him out of the cab and just beat the fuck out of him right rightfully so yeah and he was also like like put his hands like a a chick or did something like that he was just out of control right okay anyway uh you know what they did to me what they cleared a path for me to just leave oh wow yeah and so i'm like oh wait wait uh, so you mean to tell me these are the same people that are gonna like violently threaten this guy's life for no reason you know, yeah. while he was driving a car, the guys who voluntarily cleared a path for me when I had a customer that was dropping n bombs. Um, wow. So yeah, it's it's yeah, like you're gonna that, tell me that those people are, are like gonna are, are, are we're trying to like assault and and beat up and attack Daniel Perry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's uh that's a totally different um point of view of the protesters than what i was told well a lot of them are horrible but th- th- i'm just talking about like those people on that particular on those particular couple of weeks yeah i mean are, are who we're referring like are who we are referring to wow well that 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 changes a lot and and you know what that's why like again for me coming from new york hearing things you know depends <clears throat> on who tells the story depends on you know how it's told and what happened um so Without, without, you know, speaking on the Perry case, I mean, I know that Garza also took those DAs off my brother's case to go after the 24 indictments of police officers. And I guess my message is not that Haban or Gene did anything wrong. I think they did a, a great job, especially the fact that they were thrown on the case with like six months to go and they really hustled and, and did a phenomenal job. But my point is where Garza is is focusing his resources he had the choice to prosecute the largest mass shooting that ever happened in the last 40 years with his best resources which he had already allocated to my brother's case and then he chose to remove those resources and focus his attention on the prosecution of police and 
you know, again, it, it's all political. It's it's not about um, what's right or what he thought was best for his office. I mean, I think it would have made a lot better of a statement toward his own political well, supposed political position is to get guns off the street and prosecute gun violence. And then he chose not to. Why? Because it was illegal gun violence and it doesn't fit the narrative. Well, and it's also because these are people of color who who did the crime. And then he ran at like a, a social justice, a totally social justice based platform. And if he did that, then a lot of the people that were his biggest supporters may have turned their back on him. So he basically was politicized. He basically um, he was put between... he politicized he politicized. A mass shooting for personal gain is what he did. Right. And and you know what else I'd like to add on that? Just not to take up a super long time, but, um, you know, the same people, the, the black and brown community that, you know, he's advocating for, I don't disagree with him that um, there there is some things that need to change to make things better. But when you're allowing people to commit crimes who are black and brown and they get away with them and they go back to their communities and commit crime against people of their own ethnic background you're actually making it worse for the people that you're 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 allegedly protecting you're sending them back into you're sending criminals back into their black and brown communities to commit crime against their own people and the reason you know the defense attorney made a very good point i thought he he said that deandre white is used to carrying a gun because he lives in a dangerous neighborhood and it was like boom a light bulb holy shit well if people like deandre weren't in his neighborhood if they were in jail it wouldn't be dangerous and then people wouldn't need to carry guns to protect themselves and i'm not saying that there shouldn't be a carry and i'm not saying that gun laws need to change what i'm saying is people shouldn't feel that they need a gun because they're going to get shot if they don't have one but at the same time people shouldn't have to um shouldn't shouldn't have to live with that threat every day because those people aren't being put in prison. This episode is brought to you by Balcones Roofing and Remodeling. Have you been leaving your house outside again? Texas weather can wreak havoc on your home, especially your roof. And if you haven't had it inspected lately, chances are that outside elements could be making their way inside. Trust Balcones Roofing and Remodeling to perform a thorough roof inspection and offer long-lasting solutions. They are the only five-star rated roofer in Austin who specialize in installing the impact-resistant F-Wave Revia and back all roof replacements with a $20,000 guarantee. To schedule a roof inspection, call 512-937-8805 or visit balconesroofsaustin.com. No, I I agree. That's like a very spot-on statement. Um... Why do you think why do you think these DAs are doing stuff like this? Uh, I think it's virtue signaling. Um, I think it's uh, it's appealing to because you can't it's very hard to pick apart a statement like, you know, I'm not racist. I want to take care of all of the in unequally prosecuted black and brown. No one really wants to argue that because as soon as you try to argue that you're a racist and oh. people are afraid of of being called a racist, but at the end of the day, the real racist is the person who's not putting the black criminal in jail and letting the black man, black criminal rather, go back and kill an innocent black man. But nobody wants to say that because automatically you're a racist for using your brain. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, um, if people are uncomfortable um, communicating openly with what they see in front of them, that's how you get authoritarianism. Um, 
Do you know what fifteen minute cities are? Um, I've heard the term before, but I'm 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 not fully. Okay. All right. Because I think this is this ties into it. So a fifteen minute city is a UN and uh, basically a Davos based initiative to reimagine cities in a green and carbon neutral manner, in which everything that you need um, <coughs> is within a five to fifteen minute walk or bike ride from where you live. Um, or, or where you are, where you work, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, the purpose of this is to reduce carbon and make people less dependent on having to drive a car because if everything's 15 minutes from you, you don't need a car, right? right. You're, you're not putting carbon in the atmosphere. You know, the, the climate change is happening because of carbon emissions, what they say, right? Uh, okay. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah well, this is the, these are the talking points, right? And the 15-minute city reduces that. Everything is very convenient. Everything is within a, a short walk. And so it, it's a... It's a matter. It's an initiative that's being sold to redevelop and reimagine cities through convenience and through pretending to care about the environment. Now, what happens in these cities, though, if the it, um, what could also happen in these cities is that you wind up creating a very heightened um, type of security state because if you're creating these 15-minute cities to reduce carbon emissions, well, everybody needs to be monitored so that we're not going over our carbon allowance. If we go over our carbon allowance, you know, you're going to destroy the planet. You know, we're not going to be around in five or ten years. You know, so now we need these. Now we need cameras and we need um, tools to really monitor everybody's carbon output, which basically means um, we need to monitor you at all times. Um, and some of these like C forty climate goals are like, oh yeah, you can only travel a certain amount of distance per per year. You can only uh, take a certain number of plane trips every three years. You can only, uh, you know, we want to stop from eating meat. All of these initiatives, right? A lot of these initiatives are a lot easier to implement within a 15-minute city. Some places, like like in China, I, I think I could be wrong, um, make you actually sign in and out of your 15-minute city if you're going to leave your zone. Wow. You know, like they have cameras making like to monitor where, where like where you go and if you leave your zone and where you're going and tracking like all of your movements, right? So it's basically, for lack of a better word, it's an open-air prison. Um, now, nobody at this point is going to consent to wanting to live in a 15-minute city, right? Even some of the most liberal, left-leaning people, if you tried to sell this to them, it's a hard sell. Oh, of okay. course. So what do you need to do in order to turn something like this into reality? Crime. Cool. You need, well, that, that's one factor, but you need people to be afraid to leave. You need people to leave your city. You need businesses to close. You need um, the property values to go down. Right, so that you can buy it all up change everything and then sell it all back to, to people. To yes, exactly. And I think that's what this whole initiative is for. Like if you look at San Francisco, you look at Oakland, there's no retail, there's no businesses. People aren't going to restaurants. Like everyone's moving out of these, these places, even like Chicago and New York city, they're moving out of these places left and right. Okay, fine. Um, real estate. If it hasn't, if it's not already there, it's going to be there very soon, especially commercial real estate. There's about to be a commercial <coughs> real estate crash, right? And this is being exacerbated by crime and everything, even though they're not telling you that. Um, once that happens, a bunch of developers that are connected to these people that go to Davos, you're going to see them buying up, or, or BlackRock or these investment firms with unlimited treasury money, they're going to buy up everything, which they're already kind of doing. Uh, and then once, and this Larry Fink, he's like the godfather of ESG investing, right? Once that happens, oh man, you're going to hear stories in the newspaper. Look at how New York City or San Francisco, once ravaged by crime, has reimagined itself into a into a hub for sustainability. You're going to see articles like this left and right to continually sell everybody else on 
15 minute cities you're gonna they're gonna um have movies they're gonna have tv shows they're gonna have images um really trying to like show how great it is but all all, all that happened is you just you it's a controlled demolition of your uh, of your community to rebuild something that gives these billionaires even more control over your lives and what's crazy is that the progressive anti-billionaire activists are the biggest um, proponents of allowing this to happen wow that is uh you know that that is a very um methodical i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> that is a very um well thought out plan and, and it, it does kind of make sense with what's going on i mean you you see like when the crime spikes you know whether people want to admit it or not people move out of those areas i mean yeah duh you hear it all the time yeah. and then you know the area gets kind of run down and it's cheap to buy and that is the cheapest way i mean the only other option steve adler them... said this on joe rogan how do you destroy property value bring right. crime he literally said it and was laughing on rogan this was a couple years ago yeah i mean because the only other way to to achieve that goal is to buy everyone out and that's going to cost way more money and some people just aren't going to sell so the best way to get people out is to create crime. Yeah, because no matter how much money you have, like the, the person, especially like the, the people that have lived in East Austin for multiple generations, uh, they're not selling grandma's house, okay? The only way that you're going to sell grandma's house is if things in that neighborhood are so bad that you just have you just have to leave at any cost. And then you get to sell grandma's house for a much lower value. You know what else, too, I'd like to add is the crime also gets rid of the type of person that would fight back like right take take for example like a middle class family like they're gonna they're gonna have more at stake in an area because they've worked so hard for that home they've had maybe two generations in that home um they have a little bit more extra income to to actually fight back but if you create crime and you convince that middle class family that it's not middle class anymore and they're they're living below where they should be, they leave voluntarily. So you're, you're removing people that will fight you back both economically and politically. So it's it's actually a pretty brilliant, um, you know, avenue to remove people. Yeah. And then and then, you know, sprinkle in where you prosecute people for defending themselves like that guy in the subway in New York. Yep. All of a sudden, now you demoralize people even more from even wanting to try to help, and then you your your where you live becomes Gotham City, and then you move out faster, and then it just allows these people to buy up land at a cheaper price. But like a lot, when people say it's about social justice and reimagining policing and the and stopping police brutality and all that stuff, even a lot of these people they really do mean well, but they're missing out on the bigger picture. And I think there's got to be a way to communicate what that bigger picture is, because this doesn't stop until we wake up people who are left leaning here. And this is how I think the way I phrased it to you is how you wake up people who are more left leaning here. Here's the thing. Yeah. I, I agree, yeah. but I think a lot of people would say, well, that sounds like a conspiracy theory and that's far fetched because people don't want to believe it's like the matrix, right? You take the red pill or the blue pill. But if you take, if you take the red pill, you have to realize what's really happening and people don't want to, because that means and, and I heard this on a podcast, too. When you take that red pill, it means that you have to accept the fact that everything you're doing now is a lie. And people aren't ready to, to wrap their it mind around It took a long that. time for me to, 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 to wrap my mind around that. I saw, like, the Zeitgeist movies and stuff, like, right when I finished college. And it took me about, I don't know, like, um, 
10 years to really like fully get comfortable with it? Well, it, what it comes down to is following the money. I mean, you can follow the money a lot of ways and it all kind of leads back to the same thing, which is control, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, that's what it all boils down to is big brother control, call us conspiracy theorists, but that's where we've led. I mean, look, look at how far we've come in that direction in the last 20 years, right? The Patriot Act basically made it so everything we do, every electronic device around us has the potential to record and track. So say it's a good thing and, and it is used for good things, but eventually it's not going to be. Eventually it's going to be a, a, a shackle, you know, like you said, an, an open air prison. Um, and more importantly than explaining the big picture to middle class America, I think the important thing is to, to understand that we can fight this together if we fight for each other we're outnumbering all of these people that want the control, right? Like as a population, we outnumber all of them. We have the power to fight back. But what we're doing is we're throwing our hands up and we're, we're like scattering like cockroaches. You know, we hear that the guy in the New York city using him as an example in the subway, you know, he gets in trouble because a whole, he, he choked out a homeless guy who had a rap sheet probably longer than this driveway. And yeah, now everybody, instead of saying no, like we need to protest for this guy, we need to get this guy out of out of prison, and we need to get rid of this DA who's prosecuting him, and we're not going to stand for this in our neighborhood. Everybody's like, oh boy, I better not, you know, I better stay away from these homeless people. I better not get into an altercation. I gotta hide. I I I don't I don't want that to be me. We're all running scared. And and then remember when that happened, a bunch of BLM active like BLM protesters like blocked. The, they literally got on the subway tracks, blocked the trains, had massive protests to get this guy arrested. Do yeah. you remember that? Like yeah. it's not it's not even that. It's also I'm scared to say how I how I really feel because I don't want to get the mob after me cuz I actually just feel that powerless in my own community. Um and that that some that is what the most dangerous thing about it is. Yeah, it is. And and the problem is that people that are um the type of people that agree with law and order um, our middle class working Americans, they're so busy trying to do the right thing and they're working two and three jobs just to just to maintain the lifestyle they have. They don't have the time to assemble and fight back. And that's what the, everyone, all these all these higher forces are, are banking on. They're like, OK, well, these people, if we keep making it harder for them so they have to work harder, they're not going to be able to stand up to us because they'll be too busy preoccupied and, with everything and else. And not only that, here's the other facet of it too, and is that the more you debase the currency and, and create these conditions, the more you just disincentivize people from working hard anyway because why am I going to work so hard and and have a 9 to 5 and do all of these things that I'm supposed to do when I have when I when I don't own anything, where I have nothing to show for this, where I can't own any investable assets. Um and the girl that I want to date and start a family with is going to be more interested in dating some drug dealer or some pickup artist. It just gets the next generation of people to uh, embrace degeneracy and then you just wind up getting more criminals and more crime by default and then when you try to you know argue in favor of logic and basic accountability you just have an even bigger mob of people that are laughing at you at best and threatening you at worst yeah a hundred percent and um you know when when you also don't prosecute crime um, and you you take away people's ability to be financially independent, like you basically you break them down it to a point where they want to be government dependent because 
they're just like all of my best efforts have gone nowhere. Yeah, I give There's, up. Fuck this. I, I don't care anymore. Yeah, and and it's the perfect way to control them because now if if they speak out against you, you turn off their food rations, right? Or you say, uh, you know what? You can't live here anymore. You got to live over there because we're not going to give you the amount of money that you need to live where you're living. Now you have to move here, and you don't have a say in, in the matter because – you don't work anymore. You're government dependent, and they're, they're. Or even if you do work, it's still not enough. Like it's not enough. Or, um, you know, your company because everything is is has been totally reimagined. Now they're being now they have to fire you because they can't have any workers who have these opinions or thoughts. Um, if you have people who are unvaccinated, if you have people who you know don't want to give puberty blockers to their kids, this is like total fantastical stuff, you know, right? Or if you have people that think criminals should be punished. Hey man, you're creating by hiring these people. You're creating a problematic working environment, and we, you know, until you get until you uh, create a more inclusive environment, I don't think we can give you a loan. You yeah. know, and that's it. Just spirals into that, and it also um, it also makes being a police officer a much less um, appealing job. And well, the police will start prosecuting different things. It'll be like. You're not wearing a mask, so they're gonna beat the fuck out of you, versus you just rape somebody. Yeah, that that that's all it is. You're gonna just attract a different type of rule follower to want to be a cop. Yep, and you know, it, I feel like <clears throat> this. I've heard this this phrase a lot: the reimagined justice system. And I, I think that's what you're touching on is we want to abolish the police that exist now by prosecuting them and making them all quit and give up, just like they're trying to do with you know, law-abiding citizens. We want to, we want them to all quit and give up. And then when they all quit and give up, we're going to rehire the police force, but we're going to hire like-minded people that um, agree with our values, not law and order, but uh, a, a obedience, you yes. know, and there's a big difference. You know, you may think that law obeying the law is obedience, but it's not. It's obeying their law and what they say, not about what's right morally and what's wrong morally. It's about what they tell you to do, regardless if it's right or wrong. Yes, yes, that that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, when when we had we had coffee with that reporter from the Washington Post yesterday. Yeah. And one of the things you talked about um, was that when you have DAs that are that don't prosecute, like Garza, when you have a city, when you have cities full of DAs like this you pave the way for organized crime. And this has actually been like, we've had, we have actually had DAs and police chiefs that refused to um, intervene or prosecute crime back in the early 1900s. And the mafia literally was born out of that and prohibition and everything else. But, you know, because people couldn't rely on um, law enforcement or the legal system, you called on veto, uh, you know, from, from Brooklyn to uh, take care of that guy that was, you know, harassing your sister yeah, instead I'm, of the police officers to put him in jail. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the analogy I think I gave um, the the Washington Post was, you know, everybody's seen the movie uh, The Godfather or the, the trilogy, I should say. And, you know, I think if you haven't, you should. But in the first 20 minutes of the first movie, um, there's a there's a man who goes into the Don, the Godfather's office, and he says, my daughter was raped. She was beat up by her boyfriend, and I need your help. I can't get justice from the police. I called the police. They won't do anything. And so he makes a deal with the Godfather to take care of, basically kill this guy for doing this to his daughter in exchange for a favor down the line. 
and that is exactly what we're talking about, <clears throat> exemplified in a movie from the 50s. Um, the movie was made in the 70s based on the, the 50s, but, but that's where we're going right now, right? So if the police aren't going to give me justice for my brother, let's say, and I'm sick and tired of fighting, and I go find some, some tough mobster guy and I say, hey, look, you know, I need justice for my brother. I need you to take care of this guy. Well, now I'm in debt to that mobster. And if I don't do what he wants, now now, now he's after me. And I don't want that because he's the, he's the toughest guy around. So I'm going to do what he wants. And now you relinquish control from the government to the mob. And, and that's what I don't think these people are taking into consideration is that's what eventually they're going to breed before they get control. Well, no, or maybe that's what they want because when you have people constantly fighting and warring with each other within communities – um, nobody can – it's the ultimate actual divide and conquer strategy. Th then governments and large corporations just walk all over everybody because if you have to worry about, like, getting attacked by a rival gang, you're not um, you're not fighting government tyr tyranny, you know, or you're not uniting to um, – you're, you're not uniting to stop Bill Gates from buying up all the farmland. You're not going to, um, you, you know, unite to protest against lockdowns. You're not going to um, – you're not going to, like, unite and collectively protest against going to a possible World War III with Russia. You're not doing that because you have a more pressing concern, which is within your own neighborhood. So the more you actually create crime and create this type of stuff, the the harder it is for people to collectively organize to improve their communities. It's, it's by design. It's on purpose. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And that's got to be the th – that's got to be how this message gets conveyed. And, and, and I think it's got to be done in a way that's, like, relatable. Like, when I went and – I confronted the DA – Last Thursday, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and I, I sent an email to him to, to, to do my podcast. I didn't get a response. So I'm going to go back on Monday. Monday, that's the goal in person. And I'm going to talk to him in his office and say, I emailed you. I brought some people with you. I don't understand. I would like to talk about this. It's important. Um, and, um, what, what was I saying? Uh, meeting with the DA. Meeting with the DA. Um, confront, okay, so when I, when I confronted the DA, right um, – there was no credit. Like, I looked at the comments. People weren't, like, I think, like, 95 to 98% of the comments and responses were all praise. Right? You know, if people actually liked the DA or if there was actually support amongst him, I would have been met with equal criticism. Absolutely. Um, and there was – there's no criticism. And so if this guy gets reelected, then – we have that then the communication problem that we have is worse than the problem that our DA is presenting us. I totally agree with that statement. And you could say that it's the George Soros money that's being pumped in. You could say it's election fraud by some way, yeah, shape or form. You know form. what though? When people just talk, when people just yell George Soros and right wing buzzwords, it just, that's how you turn people off and make them not listen to you. Right. All you have to do is just like, if you just approach this discussion in a way in which me and you are discussing this, Right, or you confront these people in a way that it's very hard to argue. Yeah, uh, that's how you shift the narrative. But when you just openly talk about fraud and George Soros and white hats and black hats and make QAnon reference points without making any kind of real effort to change anything, all you're doing is turning people off to common sense. I think that also kind of circles back to my matrix analogy where we're talking about red pill, blue pill and accepting the reality of the world we live in. A lot of people, when you say those buzzwords, 
they revert back to like I'm not ready for the red pill. I want to go back to my bubble. Yeah. And 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 truth is, I do too. I don't want to accept that the world is as corrupt as yeah. it is because that means that I either have to accept it and yeah. and live in it and just and, and you know what? You can still take the blue pill and be a conservative. Right? When you just repeat the the, the conservative ink talking points, you're still blue pilled. Oh yeah, for you're sure. still blue pilled. You're not seeing the bigger picture, and that's what being red pilled is. It's seeing the bigger picture. You could be more red pilled as a hardcore <clears throat> communist than you could be as a mainstream Fox News watcher. You know what else too? Um, I, I think there's a lot of bullshit when it comes to Republican Democrat because at the higher level, they're they're the same. I mean, there are Republicans that are all for everything we've talked about and there are democrats that are and there are democrats that aren't and republicans that aren't so this isn't about like picking a side politically as much as it's about picking the side that you're on as a as a citizen of this country yeah it's about like it's freedom versus tyranny you know um it's prosperity versus enslavement that that's what it is left and right is not a real thing um i i believe this unfortunately the the what, what the american left has has become has just become a synonymous with um with with with, this, with with creating a security state and um it's just basically become synonymous with a complete lack of personal sovereignty and creating a a security state where dissent is um not allowed and then you have the the you know you just for me i've i've chosen to just go right just because I want whatever the opposite of that is, but unfortunately, most of the American right is not um, is not addressing with addressing these issues with the urgency in which they need to be addressed. Yeah, and they're not they're not fighting as tenaciously. I mean, the the ultra left wingers, uh, I I have to hand it to them. You know, they are fighting tooth and nail. No, they're not. No, they're not. The a bunch of billionaires who go to Davos are giving them unlimited amounts of money to astroturf talking points and changing what the left-wing narrative should be but either way that that side is fighting way harder than the right side they're yeah because they're getting unlimited amounts of money and what are they fighting for back in the occupy wall street days they fought for uh holding ceos accountable they fought for people making a living wage they fought for actual working people to have their lives better right now those same pe now these same organizations are fighting for um, drag queens to read stories to kids. They're fi fighting for minors to get bottom surgery. They're fighting for violent criminals to be let out um, with no bail. They're they're, <clears throat> fight they're fighting to make it so that you're forced to get a, a shot by Pfizer or Moderna to participate in society. No, like the the, the actual left isn't winning. These ideologies just got um, extremely corporatized and taken over by people who go to Davos with unlimited amounts of money, and that's why it appears as though they are winning. When in reality, they've just been hijacked. That and that also kind of circles back to the point earlier of, you know, dividing and conquering because, you know, they they brought these things out not by accident. The all these movements, all this this fighting for, you know, parents to be basically not in control of their children's lives. All of this comes from dividing people, making people fight at the lower level so that we don't pay attention to what's going on at the higher level. Yes, exactly. Yes, that, that's exactly what it is. Um, are you active on social media? Uh, I have social media. I'm not like active a lot. Has anybody told you that you should get more active? Uh, a lot of people have. It's just I'm not really um, good at I, I don't <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't understand social media etiquette in in the sense that like you know, how to comment, post, hashtag. Like, I don't really... Don't worry about hashtagging. Just be yourself. 
I think if you communicate <clears throat> on social media the way you're communicating with me and the way you communicate with that lady from the Washington Post in a way that's calm and measured and, and makes sense, you could your voice could really make a huge difference in um, – Making in, in in stopping a lot of this madness and and making it so that um, less and less families have to suffer as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've been told. If you that need before. help, I will help you with this. I, you can always call me and talk to me if you need help setting something up and doing things like that. And I can maybe, like, I have some friends, and maybe I can get you on more shows and more podcasts so you can get a bigger audience. But you deserve a bigger audience to share this narrative with because. Um, you know, this only stops if people speak out and you have a very powerful voice and you are willing to speak out. And when you speak out, you encourage other people to ha to speak out as well. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to it. I just I would appreciate any help because I really don't know what I'm doing. And I I just wouldn't know really where to start. I mean, other than taking out my iPhone, putting it on the desk and starting to talk, I wouldn't know what to do next. I mean, you have interview. Are, are, are you going to share your interviews that you did with Cargill? Are you going to share like what you said in the post? Like, uh, yep. have you been have you been up putting up posting updates on Instagram regarding the case? Um, here and there. Uh, I'm not. That's a start. I'm just saying that that's a start to do. Yeah, yeah. I just and now that it's over, you can go and do that. Yeah, I, I just have a hard time responding to all the comments Don't. and stuff because I'm busy and you don't have to respond to any comments unless it's from your friends or people that you care about. I turn my comments off on Twitter. I only I only have notifications for people that I follow. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. See, and this is the kind of stuff that I really don't know about you social can, media. You can turn the notifications off. Like a lot of a lot of people that are commenting <clears throat> might not even be real people or their astroturf accounts. Just ignore. It. Like if the comment's not relevant to what you're talking about, just ignore it. Like other people will comment for you anyway, especially with because you have such a powerful story. People will comment and they'll share. And 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 as long as you just as like all you have to do is share your story and, and speak about this in a way that's calm and measured and relatable to people <clears throat> who don't have strong political viewpoints, which is everybody. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think you make a valid point. I, I probably should, should try. Um, and I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I just, I also feel like sometimes, you know, I, I say things in the media and it gets me misconstrued or they take out all the, all the meat and potatoes of the post and then so bring a camera with you next time next time you go talk to somebody in the press you have somebody record that conversation hey i'm recording this too so that i for, for my for my own sake i'm recording this too because i don't want anything that i said to you to get taken out of context yeah and, and if i think that something is, is important that you missed i want to be able to share it as well so I'm, I'm recording this for myself too and i really appreciate you meeting with me and, and you you're really polite and you do all this stuff and then when they refuse to meet with you then it, if they refuse you just put that on social media. It's like, I, um, I brought a camera to record my conversation because this is a story that needs to be told in its entirety because I, I, I don't want you or anybody in your family to suffer the same fate that my brother did. Um, that's the only reason I'm recording this. And um, if they throw you out or they refuse to do the interview, they say, but unfortunately she refused to do the interview as a result of me wanting to record this from – Record this, and then if they do the interview, say I really appreciate her willing, being willing to do the interview and, and allowing me to record. Thank you for helping me get my story out. Yeah, you know what? I I never really thought about that. I mean, a lot of these interviews have been kind of you know caught off guard, or um, they're like quick, so I didn't have the ability to record. Um, but I, I think that's a valid point because I've done a lot of interviews where um, 
they changed my narrative by cutting out parts and they, you know, just did voiceovers and said, oh, you know, we spoke with Mr. Cancer today and he said X, Y, and Z. And it's like, you didn't hear my voice at all. You just said X, Y, and Z and put my face behind it. Yeah. So. Have a camera with you whenever you talk to these people. Okay. That, that's what I do. And just post. And, and when, when you go on social media, don't post. If you're angry, do not post if you're angry. Sometimes write a list of things you want to share when you're in a good mood and you feel clear-headed. And just, you know, okay, I, I posted this on Monday. All right, well, now it's Wednesday. I'm going to post this. Now it's Thursday. I'm going to post that. Um, when it comes to my videos, I don't, like, sometimes I make, like, four videos in a day and just post it out and spread it out over a week or two weeks. Wow. See, like, we'll, we'll definitely talk more on this because this is all, like, stuff I've never put of a moment's thought into. It's a big deal, dude, especially where you're in New York. Like, that, uh, New York kind of almost went red even this past election. And yeah, the, and the tide is shifting in a place in places like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, because we we see like we see how hard we work. I mean, you have to realize New York is probably the most taxed state in America. Yeah, next to California, and and we're we're always uh, we're always in debt. We never we never come out positive. We never net positive because of all the people on welfare, all the all the city sucking the wealth out of um, you know the rest of the state. I mean, it's because... not necessarily people on welfare. It's just because. They're, they 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 have all these government funded projects, uh, it basically because of crony capitalism, because people with a lot of money that are that that are politically connected have these fake foundations, and you have to pay a bunch of taxes to fake foundations that don't help anybody. Right. That, that's more what it is than just welfare recipients. Right. And and as somebody like me, I am not very wealthy. I'm not like super financially um, free in the sense that I could just stop working and be fine. Um, so people like me, like I live in a small sixteen hundred square foot house, and my taxes are seventeen thousand dollars a year. What the heck? Mine are like Just, five or six, and, I think. So and that, yeah. that's my that's my house. Like people in other states, if you're watching this, I I realize that like states like South Carolina, I was actually looking to move there. You pay taxes on the property that you own, like cars, bikes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about for the home that I live in, my sixteen hundred square foot home. Just for that. I pay $17,000 a year just to live there. That doesn't cover uh, my energy bill. That doesn't cover the automobile uh, insurance that I pay. That doesn't cover anything for a motorcycle. That doesn't cover the, the taxes you pay. When How are the services in, in your community? Um, so in the county I live in. Um, it's not too bad. You're not like all, all that bullshit is kind of removed from you, right? Uh, for the most part, I mean, look, there's always pockets of that everywhere in New York, but, um, I live in a predominantly red Area, county, yeah. so it's minimized, but it's, it's definitely there. It's a lot. It's still a lot of money to, not, you're not getting what you paid for. No, no. I mean, all, all of our money. So we have a, a population of people, a very large population of people, um, that are, welfare dependent um and i I don't want to get into that population too much um but they have systematically sucked the tax money out of the state to build sidewalks housing um you know pay for child support so there's our county has this huge negative and then we have people like me and, and others that work really hard to, to put money into the county, but our roads are shit. Um, our, you know, we don't have street lights yeah. on some roads. So like there's exactly, and, and this type of stuff makes people like you move out 
and then it eventually will depress the property value, and this is how the 15-minute cities get built. Exactly. And that's why it's so important for you, because of what you experienced, to speak out and be as loud as possible, because um, if other people aren't pushing back, and the time to push back is now, and you got to do it in a way that's respectful and, and nonviolent, um, and and non threat and and non threatening to people physically, but you have to push back because if if we don't if this doesn't change in the next four to six years, um, you're the the the, the fifteen minute city um, tyrannical hellscape vision of society that they are trying to build has a much larger chance of actually being put into effect. So that that everything that you're you're sharing right now, that's why it's even more important for you to say something and speak out about this. Um, especially while you're still in New York, because New York is one of the most demoralized cities in the country. Like, I grew up there, all right? You know this. Yep. I've been here for like 10 years. Even 10 years ago, bro, like, you know, um, everybody wanted to complain about Republicans in D.C., but nobody wanted to complain or take collective action as to why it costs $12 to go over the George Washington Bridge every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, that's a symptom of demoralization you know n- nobody is complaining about the fact that um we're paying exor- you're paying exorbitant amounts of money in rent to live in a walk-in closet with four of the roommates across the street from a housing project where you got to worry about getting stabbed on your way home you couldn't have those conversations with people in new york um you know why for the most part demoralization yeah so that's why it's that important you got to speak you got to le- like that's why it's, it's so important to really to, to, to speak out and be a voice of reason, especially in these crazy times. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, right. and I will start doing that. Good. I, 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 you know, every, we all people, we all need as much help as we can get, you know, you know what, now that I think about it too, it's a team. It, it actually is a team effort. Th- it is. And you know what else too? people like us, you know, we get kind of divided and conquered because like, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, like I might make a post and like, you know, I'm like, does anybody even really give a shit? And then I'm like, you know what? Why am I like, why am I wasting my time doing this when nobody really cares? And like, it's a really bad attitude that I have sometimes. Because... I, I get that too. I get that too. Um, that's why it's important to have that sense of unity. Because what happens if, if I feel like I'm in a rut? Well, then Nick's got to pick up the slack. What happens if you're in a rut? I got to pick up the slack. This is a, literally the ultimate team fighting New World Order tyranny, for lack of a better word, is a team sport that we have to understand that we are actually a team and we shouldn't be fighting with each other over bullshit. Yeah, and we shouldn't shouldn't give up. I mean, I and I'm I'm a big um, advocate for for not giving up not and giving fighting up, through yeah. things. I've been through a lot of shit, a lot of shit. Um, in my life and I've never quit. Good. Yeah, and, and this is the worst time to quit right now. That's that's why you do all these hard sports so that when the time gets tough like now, you fight through it. But anyway, Nick, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, I am on Facebook. I am on uh, Instagram. I created a Truth Social account this weekend, oh. and a I created a uh, a Twitter this weekend. Really? So I don't really have any followers because I just. Well, made what is all your this. Twitter handle, Nick? Uh good question. Yeah. Don't mind. <laughs> what is your? T- <laughs> Let's see. I will follow you right now. Actually, it is. Hold on. See, I used to call it Twatter, and I was so against going on it, but now that it's changed a little bit. So this is, I believe. Cantor. Uh, Cantor uh, underscore Nick 3221. That's such a lot. Okay. 
Okay, I got you. I just followed you. Cool. <clears throat> we have a lot of common followers. Look at that. So many people, people want to follow you already. Yeah, well, I think it has a lot to do with the trial. I mean, I um, I got, I don't Keeps, know if I told share, you this. Share stuff. Keeps. So I got, I got shut down on Facebook because I called them out for hiding some of my posts, like shadow banning me. And then I yeah. sent messages to the media like, hey, um, I'm being banned and I don't know if you're trying to get a hold of me or get updates. But if you need to, like direct message me or call me. And that message alone got me shut down on Facebook. And it was like, this violates our code of conduct. So they sent me like... For, for messaging about the trial. For messaging about the trial. So they sent me like their code of conduct. I, I took a screenshot of it. And I'm like reading the code of conduct and I'm like, there's nothing in here that I violated. Like I read the whole page they you sent should, me. You should share that on Twitter. Um, maybe share that on Twitter and explain that very con like very precisely and say, we appreciate Elon Musk for allowing me to be able to share updates on the case and bring about justice to the families that were hurt by by everything you know what it's funny because i shared that on my instagram but i didn't think to do that shared on twitter so on twitter. I, I will uh I'll, I'll post a picture of it because i took a screenshot of the message that said i can't yeah. send messages so I'll, I'll put a picture of it and then write i i copy and pasted the message that i sent so you can see like what i said and then you can compare that to the code of ethics that they sent me and you see that it doesn't violate anything i'm yeah, not inciting will... violence i'm not no I, I, like i said i will help you get everything out there that you need i promise you cool um and if you need help writing if you ever need help with how to phrase or write a tweet out or something like that let me know just you can always contact me and let me know but anyway nick thank you for coming on i'm really glad that you made the time to do this i really appreciate it uh, i know it's been a really tough a uh, couple years and I'm glad that you're at least getting some closure for everything so thank yeah you. thank you for having me absolutely all right